Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. I'm glad that you're here. I'm really thankful for Connor. He did such a good job. Thankful to have him. Uh, Connor, he grew up in Florida, kind of where I grew up, and uh, he just probably a year or so ago, as we were kind of getting this thing started, and and even in the vision part of it, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, would you want to have an intern? I have a heart to plant churches, and and would you want to have an intern? Do you have an internship program? I'm like, oh, sure, sure, we have an internship program. We'll make one up, man. Uh, and so he's, he's come, and he's already been such a tremendous part of our team, and so we're very thankful for him. Uh, and so you'll get to know him. He'll be with us at least a year, uh, and so we're excited to have him uh, as part of our gathering and, and really helping with our youth, too, a lot. So uh, this weekend, uh, if, you've, if you're if we're friends on Facebook, uh, you'll know that I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was in, actually in Kalamazoo. I flew into Grand Rapids, which is actually where I was born, uh, in Grand Rapids. And then my dad uh, and mom, they moved us to Florida when I was five years old. But I was there. I was uh, a part of an event uh, for an organization I used to work with. And one of the things I realized when I got off the plane in Grand Rapids was my blood is different than it used to be. Uh, when I was in Grand Rapids this, this past weekend, the, I think the high for the whole weekend, the kind of the time I was there, was like 34, 36 degrees. And, and, and you can tell who's from Florida, California, who's visiting, and then you can tell like the people in shorts and short sleeve shirts that are from Michigan uh, because they're like, oh yeah, it's not too bad. It actually gets a lot worse here in a couple months. But for me, because I grew up in Florida and now we're in Northern California where I think we have some of the best weather in the nation, doesn't get crazy cold and it gets pretty hot, but it doesn't last super long. But I, but I realized, man, I really don't like cold. But one thing you, if you have, how many of you have lived somewhere where like 36 was hot in the winter? Okay, a few of you guys. Uh, I know Mike was in Antarctica, so I think he like trump card everybody because he spent some time in Antarctica. But one of the things that you notice when you spend some time like in the Midwest or in the Northeast is, man, those people really get into spring. Growing up in Florida, spring was like, okay, it's Monday. Is it spring? It was just like yesterday, and it's almost summer. Like, spring's not that big of a deal, but in the, the Midwest, Northeast, places where it gets cold, man, people get so excited for spring because, man, it is a huge change. And, and in those tight parts of the country, man, people, they, like, don't spend any time in their yard for six months because everything's frozen and dies but then you almost get a reset on your yard every spring. And so, man, it's a beautiful thing. People dive out. Man, they go, go to, uh, to like Home Depot, to Lowe's, and buy all the stuff. And they, they work in their yard. Where in Florida, where I grew up, like you never get a break from your yard. Like you're mowing your yard twice a week in December because it's still 85 degrees and it's still humid and things grow. And so I loved uh, when we lived a little time in, in Lafayette, Indiana, I loved that time because, man, I could mess up my yard during the summer and fall, but no, it's all going to reset and I'll get to try again. And so because I, I don't love yard work, maybe you're the type of person that like, man, you're like, man, I'll come and do yard work at your house and I'll take you up on that. But maybe you're one of those people, but when we were buying a house here in California, one of the things we wanted to make sure of, which isn't really hard in California, we found out, is that we didn't have too big of a yard. So you guys know, like, yeah, no one really has that big of a yard in California. But in, in Florida, we had this, like, rainforest of a yard where things were growing constantly, and it was so hard to keep up with. And so, man, we wanted to have a yard that would be 
like we could manage it, me and Austin and, and, the, and Lori and kids could get out there and work for a couple hours and it'd be all right. And so, man, we bought a house that has a, a not a very big yard, but one of the things we love about our yard is the fruit trees in the backyard. And so if you were to come over to our house, some of you have been over there, you would notice uh, you'd need to watch out because our dog is out there, and so you need to watch where you step in our backyard. But if you, if you watch where you step and you looked over in the corner, you would see an orange tree. And uh, we've never had an orange tree in our yard, even in Florida, that I can remember. And uh, one thing I noticed is, man, that thing produces a lot of oranges. Like, we spend more time picking up oranges off the ground than we do actually picking them and eating them. But, man, it produces tons of oranges. And then right in the middle of our yard, there's this kind of big tree, and it's a cherry tree. And so, man, I'm cherry tree, and man, it, it produces tons of cherries, and it's beautiful when the blossoms turn white. And man, we went out there and picked the cherries, ate them. But, but here's what we never did. We never went out into our backyard and sat down as a family and said, you know what? We're going to pray for our cherry tree because we're really praying this year that it doesn't produce prunes, that it produces cherries. So, man, we're really going to ask God that this cherry tree would not produce anything but cherries. We never did that. We, we never went to our orange tree and said, you know what? Man, we, we're not huge fans of lemons, and so we're really praying that our orange tree produces oranges this year instead of lemons. We never did that, never thought about doing it. Maybe we're not a spiritual family, but we never thought about doing that. And, and, and you know why? Because, man, a cherry tree produces cherries an orange tree produces oranges you don't have to wonder hey this year I wonder what we're going to get out of the apple tree I wonder what we're going to get out of the tomato plant man it's you're going to get tomatoes or you're going to get apples because what the tree is is what it's going to produce and over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how, and we started a few weeks ago with a letter that James wrote. James was Jesus' half-brother, and James talked about this. He said, if someone is a follower of Jesus, his life or her life will reflect that in their actions, in how they love other people, in the works that they do. Because somebody that's a follower of Jesus looks like a follower of Jesus because that's what a follower of Jesus looks like. And Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13 as he was talking about this and his followers. He said this. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples or my followers if you have love for one another. Here's Jesus is leaving the earth. He's kind of, he's about to be finished with this ministry. And he says, all right, here, listen up. This is how you're going to know if somebody's a follower of me. This is how you're going to know if somebody is, is tracking with me. You're going to know by how they love. You're going to know by the love that is produced. Not, they're not going to be perfect people, but they're going to be people that love other people. That's how you're going to know that you're my followers if you love other people by your love. But, but since the beginning of this movement that Jesus started over 2,000 years ago, we have taken what was very simple and we have complicated it. And, and here's what I mean. What we've done is instead of saying, okay, we're to love other people, let's love other people the way Jesus did, we've overcomplicated it and we've made knowing a lot about Jesus and doing a lot of rituals for Jesus, the main thing, and then we've forgotten about the love part. And so we're, we live in a society today that, man, somebody feels really good about themselves if they read the Bible in the morning, but then they go and be jerks to people the rest of the day. Like, like they feel like, well, man, I'm a good follower of Jesus because I read my Bible this morning, and then they went out of their house and treated people terribly. It's why maybe some of you walked away from the church. You weren't mad at Jesus. It wasn't even that you didn't believe in Jesus. It was just you didn't understand his followers because you saw him go to church on Sunday and then you saw how they treated people the rest of the week and it just didn't gel. 
And so maybe for you or maybe for somebody in your family, man, you, you've kind of walked away from the faith and you're kind of investigating maybe coming back and it was never about not loving Jesus. It was never about not believing in Jesus. It was always about the people that said, I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet their life looked so different than what Jesus' life looked like. And, and this series that we, we started a few weeks ago, we've asked ourselves this question, what would it look like if a gathering of people really took serious this idea of loving other people the way Jesus did? What if we really took this serious and, 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 and we actually impacted people more than we posted about it? What, what if we, man, instead of just coming to church and going through the rituals, which is, I'm all for that, obviously we started a church, what if we actually were the church the rest of the week in our society, in our corner, in our places that we go? And, and see, this, this issue is not a new issue. This issue of, of making ritual and knowledge more important than actually loving God and loving people it's not new. It's actually something that's been happening for thousands of years. It's something that the Old Testament writers addressed with the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at a guy by the name of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah was one of those guys that he was uh, a guy that was a spokesman for God. They called him prophets. He's, he's found in the Old Testament, kind of that first section of your Bible. And, and Isaiah was a guy that was around between 800 and 700 B.C., and God used to use people like Isaiah to kind of be his spokesman. And so they would give messages to the people of Israel, kind of God's people, and then, and then they would communicate to God. They were kind of the go-between. And so Isaiah, he was writing to these people, these people that were followers of, of God, followers of Yahweh. They were the Jewish people. They were kind of God's chosen people. But man, the Jewish people... They were just like us. And here's what I mean. Man, they knew how to look good on the weekend. But yet, man, they were a wreck on the inside. And the way they treated other people, you didn't know they loved God, that's for sure. And so in Isaiah chapter 1, let's look at God's spokesman as he speaks about the nation of Israel. And before we're too hard on the nation of Israel, let's ask God, God, Speak to me in this. Where, where can I learn something from their example? It says this in Isaiah chapter 1. It says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Basically what, what Isaiah was doing, he was almost like setting up a courtroom. Like, like the Lord is about to speak and he's about to, to, to share with you some charges he has against you. And so he says, the Lord has spoken. And he says, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. These children, these Israel, this, this nation of Israel that kind of have been my people, that I made clear to them, my desire for them was to bless them. My desire for them was to, to help them and to prosper them. If they would just be obedient and do the things I say, which is what's best for them. And yet these, this nation had rebelled against God. And so, so Isaiah goes on, he says, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. He says, basically, even an animal knows who its master is. Even an animal will, like, man, I came home from Michigan yesterday, my family was excited to see me, but probably the person that was, actually not person, the animal that was most excited is my dog, Piper. My, my do, man, your dog never forgets you. Like, your animal knows who you are, man. You can, like, be mean to your dog, and they still will be right there to cuddle with you. Your animal knows, and this is what God's saying. He's saying, even animals understand who their master is. They love the person that, that is their master, even an animal. And then he goes on, he says, Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, you have forsaken or rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Basically what Isaiah is saying is, you people who God loves, you people who God has 
has provided for, who he wants to bless, you've turned your back on God. You don't even acknowledge him as your Lord. And then he goes on in verse 9, it says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and and become like Gomorrah. Basically, he's saying, man, it's only by God's grace that we weren't all destroyed. Like God could have just ran us off the face of the earth. We deserved it. But it's only because of God's grace that even a few of us are left. And, and he, he describes Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a, a city that was in the Old Testament who God literally destroyed because of their sin. And he's saying, man, it's only by God's grace that we aren't like that. That God didn't just wipe us off the face of the earth. Only by God's grace. See, put yourself in God's shoes. If you're in a relationship with someone and you have, you have put all you have into that relationship... And, and the person you're in the relationship with has, has acted like they love you. They've acted like they're, they're with you. But actually inside they hate you. Actually inside the only reason they haven't told you to your face they hate you. And they're still going through the motions of acting like they love you. Is they don't want the drama that will come with telling you the truth. And that's where God is, man. This, these people that God loves, these people that God has provided for, these people that God wants to prosper, basically are in their heart giving God the finger, but they're acting like they still love God because they don't want the drama that comes with it. And then God goes on because here's what was happening. And I mean, this just for God must have made him nauseous. All the while they're hating God, all the while they're treating God like he's not even their Lord, they're still going to church. They're still doing the deal. And yet inside their heart, they care nothing for God. Look look what happens. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Basically what God's saying to these people is, hey, you you do these sacrifices. You sacrifice these animals as a way to kind of atone for your sin. And he's saying, your your sacrifices are obnoxious. They make me nauseous. You're you're basically killing animals for no reason because they ain't working. Why are you doing this? Why are you going through the motions? I, your stuff, man, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. And God's frustrated with these people. Because, man, they have rituals down, but they have left the relationship. They, they know the deal. They're doing the sacrifices. And God's saying, your sacrifices are meaningless. You can check all the boxes you want, but there is no relationship right now. The relationship is broken. And he goes on and he says, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more offerings, incense. It's it's an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and and calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. All these special meetings, these little church gatherings that you have, these little feasts you have, these little religious holidays that you have, all this stuff you're doing, I can't stand it because there's no relationship. You're just going through the motions. He says, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. I mean, this is, this is God. This is God talking to Israel and saying, just, just stop. Stop the feast. Stop the special days. Stop producing the little cute devotionals. Stop checking that box. Stop it, all this stuff you're doing, all these special things. Just stop. They're empty. They're meaningless. You're just going through the motions. It was never supposed to be like this. Stop. And then he goes on. He says, you know your little cute prayer meetings? Might as well stop those too. He says this. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. 
Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He's saying, you know your prayer meetings? You know your little special Wednesday night deals that you do? Stop. Because I don't even hear you. Your words, you might as well not even talk because I'm not listening. And then he says this, he said, there's blood on your hands. He compares these people to murderers because of how they treat other people. He's saying, you're going through all these motions, but man, you're treating people as hateful as a murderer. And I just can't stand it. See, I wrote this in my notes. God did not want or need their rituals. He wanted a relationship. Without the relationship, the rituals became cold and drastically affected how they treated people. This will be up on the screen. When our interaction with God becomes ritualistic, our interaction with people will as well. These people, they didn't even probably know that it was happening to them. It was very subtle. It began with them just, hey, I'm just going to kind of go through the motions and still kind of do the deal and check the boxes for God and be a part of the little assemblies and just kind of keep things clean on the outside. All the while, my relationship with God is cold. And very quickly, their relationship with God began to affect how they treated people. And, and I wrote this, compassion goes away. When my relationship with God is just a bunch of rituals, then my relationship with people becomes that as well. And compassion is an effort. It goes away. Because compassion is something that's on the inside. Selfishness becomes our filter. Yeah, I might still help you, and it might look like I'm compassionate, but it's really based on, how's this going to work for me? Is this going to give me an advantage? Is this going to make me look good? How is this going to help my progress? Manipulation becomes our tactic. When, when my relationship with God becomes cold, becomes ritualistic, then how I begin to treat other people, because it's not coming from a heart of compassion, I begin to manipulate people. I begin to, to have compassion on them only in action but not in heart. And that's what was happening to these people. Yeah, I, I, I still, you know, still do a little Christmas thing and I still do a little, because that's the boxes I have to check. But man, there's nothing in there. And I just do what I need to do so that everybody else looks like, you know, feels like I'm a good person. Or, you know, what's the culture say I need to do and in what time of year do I need to do it so that I, I look like a compassionate person. But I'm doing it out of ritual. I'm doing it to, to have some selfish motives, maybe to have somebody look at me and, and think something of me. It's not coming from a heart that's devoted to God. It's not coming from a heart of gratitude. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate. Maybe, maybe if you're honest, you would say, you know what? My heart, it's in a season of coldness. Uh, my heart's in a season where, man, if I'm honest, it's pretty cold. And, and I haven't missed a beat in front of people. They wouldn't know it. But on the inside, my heart's pretty cold. My relationship with God is pretty sterile. It's not, not a whole lot there, not a lot of freshness there. And because of that, the, the compassion I share with people and the way I treat people, if I'm going to treat them well, it takes a lot of effort and it's actually kind of getting exhausting because my heart's not in it. Maybe you're in that season or maybe you've been in that season where you, it took a lot of effort to love people because your heart was cold. And no matter where you find yourself, no matter if this is a season where, man, you feel like you are closer to God than you've ever been, and, and you feel compassion on people, and it just kind of flows out of you, or if you're in a season where, man, it's, it's cold right now on the inside, and for you it takes a lot of effort to show love to people, or maybe you're even in a spot where you'd say, Chris, I don't have a relationship with God. I'm kind of skeptical of this whole Jesus thing, and, and man, yeah, I do things because that's what society says, but this idea of having it driven by something on the inside it's kind of foreign to me no matter where you find yourself Isaiah points to a solution that's timeless 
a solution that was as good for people several thousand years ago as it is for us today in 2019. He says this in verse 16. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Basically, what God's saying to him is, your heart needs to be cleaned. You need to be cleaned on the inside. See, when when God has my heart, my life begins to reflect his heart. And so as as Isaiah's speaking to these people, and he's just basically said, hey, here's where you're really at. Here's here's what you're like right now. Your heart's very cold, and you treat people terribly, and you, you say you love God, but you're just, this whole thing's a big ritual and a game to you. But if your heart is cleaned, everything can change. If you'll let God work on the inside, it can be over. It can be different. And he goes on and he says this. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. See, when your heart was cold, you forgot about people. But when your heart is cleaned, you can, from the inside, you can begin to make a difference in the areas of our society that need redeeming. Remember the people. Because again, when God has my heart, my heart reflects his heart, and his heart is for people. And so he says, man, if you would be cleaned up on the inside, then you will begin to care about the fatherless. You'll begin to care about the widows. You'll begin to care about what I care about. You'll begin to make a difference with people. Because that's my heart. And, and here's one of the cool things about Isaiah and a lot of the prophets is if you, if you look through some of the Old Testament prophecy, you'll see a few things. You'll see uh, some, them talking about future events. You, they'll see them talking about future dates, about future wars, about future. And so you can see, wow, there's, he talked about it here. And then 200 years later, it happened just like he talked about. But then the second thing you'll see, and this is what's beautiful about all of the scriptures, there's an arrow in every single book of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, and there's an arrow, and it points to one person, and it's not us. It points to Jesus. And if you look at the next thing Isaiah says, this is one of those places where he's pointing to something that's coming. He says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Basically, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They'll be clean. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He says, hey, you can stop doing evil. You can start impacting the world by doing good, but you can't do that without Jesus. And there's going to be a day where where you're making these sacrifices now to atone for your sin. But there's going to be a day when something's going to happen that is going to wash away your sin. It's going to take what's dirty and it's going to make it clean forever. The day is coming. A few chapters later in Isaiah chapter 53 says this. Wonder who he's talking about. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are clean. Not because we like get more disciplined. and Not because we like, all right, I'm going to do this. Because I can't do this. I can't clean up the inside. And, and, and we could go around this room and you'd be like, you are right, man, because I've tried, haven't you? I've tried to like, hey, I can do this. I'm a disciplined person. I can live for God. I can love people. I can be a good dad. And then that only takes a couple hours till I fall on my face. Because I need someone that's supernatural to come inside and do something in me that I can't do. And Isaiah says, Jesus, he's coming. He's coming. 
He's going to take your transgression. He's going to take your sin. He's going to take your beating. He's going to take your punishment. And by his stripes, the stripes on his back from the whip, by his blood, you will be healed. You will be cleaned. See, and what's awesome is the same power that drew me into a relationship with Jesus empowers me to reflect him to the world. That, that same power that, that took me as a, a little boy and, and made me say, hey, I need Jesus. It's the same power that now as a 43-year-old empowers me on a daily basis to live like Jesus. Just like it for you. Which really, really, if, we, if, we're, if we're correct kind of theologically, this is, it, it's never been about me living for Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's about Jesus living through you. It's not like, hey, Jesus, I'm on the team. I'll play forward today, and I'll, I'll do that for you, and I'll, I'll play for you, and I'll, I'll be on the team. It's like, no, 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 no. I'll live through you. You, you just be obedient. And let me live through you. You just be a clean vessel that I can live through, that you can reflect me to the world. Which leads us to just a few simple questions. If Jesus is physically, if he was physically walking with me into my school, if he was physically walking with me into my workplace, into my neighborhood, there's, a, there's some questions that we should think about if we're serious about not just talking about Jesus, but actually living for Jesus Here's, here's some of the questions I thought of. What would Jesus see if he was walking with me through my life? I'm sure he would see things I don't see. He would see things differently than I see them. What, what would he see? What would Jesus feel? If he was walking with you through your life, if he was interacting with the people you interact with, what would he see but what would he feel? How would Jesus pray? If, if Jesus was walking with you through your life and if he was interacting the way you interact, how would, what would he be, feel led to pray about? What would be on his heart? What would break Jesus' heart if he walked with you? That, that maybe you or I just walk by and don't even notice, but his heart would break. And then... I think somebody made a bracelet like this and made a lot of money off it, but what would Jesus do? Great, that was a great idea. Wish I would have thought of it. What would, I mean, that's a great question to ask. Like, if, if I'm supposed to reflect Jesus in my life, then, then what would he do? If he was walking with me through my day and my week, what would he do? See, we're not called to be the Savior, but we're called to reflect him. So we're called to see what he sees. We're called to feel what he feels. We're called to love the way he would love. We're called to do what he would do. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't heal all the sick. He didn't feed all the poor. He didn't right all the wrongs. You just read through the, old, uh, the, the New Testament and watch his life. He didn't heal every person. But here's what he did do. He stayed in a close relationship with his heavenly father and as he walked through his days and his weeks, he was sensitive to the spiritual needs of people. He offered them spiritual hope and many times he also helped them with physical needs. That's what he did. And he didn't do it for every person on every street, but he did it for the people that God put in his path. He was sensitive to God, and when Zacchaeus was up in the tree, or when the blind man was, was calling for him, he responded by giving them spiritual hope and also helping them physically. See, sometimes we, if we're honest, and I mean, it's not a bad thing to be really sensitive to God, but sometimes it's overwhelming. Like, how do I make a difference? Like, I just heard uh, somebody here was telling me, even as I was walking in, that about a nine-year-old that recently just passed away, about a 42-year-old just a few days ago that passed, just right, right around us. And we can get so overwhelmed and, man, God, how do I help? Where do I put my effort? And here's what Jesus did. He stayed sensitive to God, and then as God put people in his path, he loved them gave them hope, he met their needs physically. 
And so during this series, we have sought to do a, a little bit of that. During this series, we have sought to be both individuals that are sensitive to God and don't just talk about helping, but actually help people. And then we've also set some goals as a gathering. And we've set some goals for a few reasons. We want to we set some goals that will help us impact our neighborhood, but also impact the nations. And so if you were here a couple weeks ago, we set our first goal was simply we wanted to fill 50 Operation Christmas Child boxes. And, and, and a lot of you took boxes, and you, you've already started. We have, in fact, I think we have our first boxes that have come back this, this uh, uh, week. But our goal is to pack 50 of those Operation Christmas Child boxes. We need to bring them all back this next week. is the week we're going to gather them all. And then those, those boxes are going to go around the world. And they're going to go around the world with the stuff we put in it to give joy to those children. But they're also going to go around the world with the gospel inside of them. There's going to be literature in the language of those kids. And so, great opportunity. And so, if you, haven't, if you maybe haven't been here the last few weeks, I'd encourage you, stop by next step, pick up a box or two, pick up a little brochure. Let's get them all packed. And next week, be back at church and bring your box with you because it's the time that we're going to bring them all to the front. We're going to pray over them. And then we have to deliver them to the location that will take them and kind of do the next thing with them. And so, that's next week. That was our first goal. Our second goal we talked about was a goal that we, we talked about last week. And, and it's simply this. We want to invite 50 neighbors into our homes that we've never invited before. You say, I don't have any neighbors. I live like on a farm. 50 people. Okay, they, you, can, you can invite somebody from work too. But, and somebody asked me, is that like 50 for each of us? I'm like, if you want to be a hero, you go ahead and get 50 people. Uh, but no, 50 as a gathering, that over this next six weeks before Christmas, that we would have invited 50 people that we haven't ever invited into our home, into our home. And, and we don't have like a video sharing the gospel with them that we want you to show to them. We don't, we're not going to give you like a sheet to talk through with them. Here's what we want you to do. Talk to them. Act, ask them about their life. Get to know your neighbor. I don't know about you, but man, there's... There's some people that live around me that we've talked, but man, they haven't been in my home yet. And so, man, just want to invite them into my home and, and then let God do whatever God wants to do, but it starts with a relationship. And so that was our second goal. And here's, here's what our third goal is, and this is a big one. We want to raise $5,000 to give away. Not to pay the, the bill for this school, not to pay any of the stuff that we have to pay, but we want to raise $5,000 in a Christmas generosity offering to give away before Christmas. You say, you say, Chris, I knew it. Haven't been to church in a while, and this is why. You, 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 you got a hanky that's been dipped in the Jordan River that you're going to sell me to, a special prayer cloth? No. Here, here's, and, and maybe you've had a, a situation where, man, you've been to a church and, and they've manipulated you. And, and here's what I would say to that. If you've ever given to something out of manipulation or out of guilt, then that was the wrong approach. But the, 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 the feeling that we should feel inside of our heart when we give is not manipulation, it's not guilt, it's gratitude and trust. It's gratitude because we're saying, God, thank you for giving me what you've given me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And for me to give something, God, is from a place of gratitude. But then also it's trust. It's saying, God, when I give this to somebody else, that means I don't have it to pay my bills. So I'm trusting you. I'm giving something that I could use, but I'm giving it and I trust you to provide. And, and if you've been around City Walk Church, this is a lot of our story. See, about oh, just over two years ago, I stood on a stage in Florida and I went on a Facebook Live video and announced this idea of planting a church in Yuba City, California that would be a church that people that were far from God or people that had been following Jesus for a long time could come to. And about within 48 hours of me showing that video, money began to come in from people all over the country that will never set foot in this church that were giving towards a vision. 
And, and then what happened was we, we moved to California about 18 months ago and we began to build a launch team of people to help plant City Walk Church. And what happened was many of those launch team members started giving towards a vision before the church had even started and they began to give sacrificially so that we could do what we're doing today. And then now we're nine months old and we're a church that's, that's uh, man, just still a baby. And now many people in our city call this church home. And they give, not because they have to, but they give as a way of worshiping God. And they give towards what's happening now, but then also for the future. And, and here's what's cool. If, if this is home for you and, and, and City Walk is, is kind of your family, I, this is something I want you to know. When you start a church, people tell you, It'll take you three years before you're self-sustaining. And what that means is it'll take three years before you don't have to raise out money to pay the bills for the church. We're nine months into this thing and we are two-thirds of the way towards being self-sustained. And it's because of people like you that just make it part of their normal giving to say yes. And here's what my prayer is. My prayer is that early in year two, that will be self-sustained. And I think it's very possible. And, and here's what's cool. When we become self-sustained and the money's still coming in from outside churches and families that will never be in, in our gathering but, but still give, what we're going to do is we're going to take those funds and we're going to put those into new ministries that honestly, and I can't tell you about some of it right now, but there's some open doors that we have that we're just praying and asking God, are we ready for this? And so I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your generosity. And if this is like your first week here, we don't usually talk about money this much. But, but, we, but here's what I want you to know. If this is your first time here, there's a bunch of families in this church that give faithfully so that you can be here and don't ever have to feel like we want anything from you. And here's what we say every, as much as I can tell people this, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And, and so we're thankful. And so when we, when we talk about these, these three opportunities, man, we want you to pray about, man, getting involved in the 50 boxes. We want you to pray and get involved in the 50 neighbors. It's, it's going to take all of us. But we also want you to pray and say, okay, above and beyond what I would normally give, how do you want me to be involved in this Christmas generosity offering? Because if we all say, you know what, I'm just going to take my normal giving and just put Christmas generosity, we'll actually have to meet outside next month uh, because we still have to pay the rent. So we, uh, above and beyond what we would normally give, what do we want to be involved in? And I want to tell you what you're going to give to. So there's two things. We're going to take that $5,000. We're going to do two things with it. Half of it, we're going to give towards church planning. We're going to give towards this next year, helping other people like us plant churches in some of the darkest cities in our country. I want to show you a quick video of a guy by the name of Akeem that uh, we helped this past year uh, as just an example. And so go ahead and show that video. Hey, City Walk Church, Akeem Smith, lead pastor of Storyline Church. It was such an honor to be with you just a few months ago, and I want to thank you for your generosity. As you know, the grind and hustle of Portable Church, setting up every Sunday from 7 a.m. to 12.30 in the afternoon is a grind. And so I want to thank you because of your generosity of blessing Storyline Church with a portable kids case. We were able to cut down on our setup time for about 30 minutes, which you know is just a big deal. And so thank you for your generosity on the behalf of Storyline Church and what God's doing here in the East Bay and in Oakland, California. So we're going to give $2,500 towards helping church plants. But then the second $2,500, what we're going to do is we're going to give it to organizations in our community. And a couple examples. Uh, one, uh, you guys know Tanner. His wife, Emily, works for an organization called Youth for Change. And there's some great opportunities for us to be generous and just bless some families and so I wanted Tanner to just take a couple, maybe a minute, and just tell us a little bit about some of those opportunities. Yeah, so my wife, she works at Youth for Change, and she's a uh, mental health specialist, so she works with children, uh, working on behaviors and stuff like that. And uh, Youth for Change is an organization that really focuses on uh, foster children and children with uh, single-parent families that they just experience uh, trauma in the past. And... Uh, so in that, Emily deals with a lot of children or families that just are below the poverty line. 
and basically they struggle with just providing anything up to like essentials like food and transportation and stuff like that. And so uh, basically she teams with the therapists and uh, they've talked about kind of the high needs families and they've selected, you know, three families that really uh, they think would benefit from this money and they want to provide, you know, clothing and uh, grocery cards, gas cards. And I mean, a lot of kids, they have clothing that's ripped or uh, too small or anything like that. So money go towards that. Gas cards, I mean, parents struggle to bring their kids to school sometimes because they just don't have the money to use their car or take them to the doctor or stuff like that. And grocery cards, everybody, I mean, just paying for food would just be a tremendous help. So uh, I think that's basically, basically yeah. it. She, yeah, just working with kids that really need this help. Yeah. So there's three families that we're going to seek to help if we can raise these funds. And then the second, uh, Chris West, many of you know Chris, she serves uh, students in our community in the school system. And there's some tremendous needs that several churches are, are involved in helping just many of the different schools in our city. But there's some real opportunities for us and there's some, some needs that if we don't step in and help that there's going to be some things that just don't happen. And so Chris, could you tell us just a little bit about those? My name is Chris, and what he's referring to is I'm in one of the schools that's local to the proximity of Mm -hmm. our church. And with that being said, for the past, I tried to find out, and she wouldn't tell me exactly. There's a lady in our community who has served people. She just has a huge heart of compassion. And so I'm guessing about 33 years ago, that's when she started teaching at the particular school I'm at. She started providing. She started seeing the needs. I wasn't there then, just so you know that. No. Um, she started seeing the needs around the holidays for some of the families. And so this lady not only planted the trees in the school, but she also took it upon herself to start to develop a program with the staff of the school. So she would, with the office staff, with the administrators, recognize families that maybe were having a tough time, similar to what you're talking about. And she would put an appeal out to the staff to adopt these particular families, to provide them Christmas gifts and a Christmas tree, which was Mm -hmm. in recent years. And then additionally to that, to provide them a box of canned foods, non-perishables. So through the years, she's done this. And I know in recent years, she's um, getting ready to retire and move out of the area. She's been praying about who's going to take over this you know, this service to the community. Mm. And um, I have come alongside and helped her, but not to the degree that she's done in this past, actually a couple years ago, I was involved in another ministry and I left that and like, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go to help the community where I'm serving? And so this last year she said, I need your help. I go, okay. And she says, can you pray about how we can possibly, because what it is is the staff of the school I'm at provides the gifts they, you know, they adopt the families, and then the children of the school, we do a canned food drive. We'll bring food, and we fill these boxes, and I've been doing that as I'm involved with two of the, two programs for college-promoting students um, to distribute the boxes. We collect the food, then we divide it up. Well, it was just actually the week, week prior that she said, wouldn't it be nice if we could actually give them perishables, and it was following Sunday, Chris came to me and said, do you know of a need? And I'm like listening to him, not having any kind of reaction, just kind of, yeah, let me talk to her about that. And went and she was ecstatic Mm. because we've never been able to give them perishables. And she goes, because I said, well, what about a turkey or a ham? And I presented that to Chris and I go, maybe, you know, and she goes, can we maybe get them potatoes? And this last week she goes, can we maybe give them a dozen eggs too? Mm. So these families typically, when they come and she does it all confidentially to honor the kids and the parents because integrity and then we she always hosted a party after school let out for the holidays and so it's always a neat thing to see these families are coming they're getting gifts for their kids Mm. the staff does not you know we don't talk about who did what it's just very anonymous and they get a, they got a box of perish you know canned foods dry foods and so this year she goes oh my gosh we've never had a turkey or, you know, rolls or eggs or a bag of potatoes. <laughs> Got to have a turkey. Got to have a turkey or ham, you know, whatever. So that's how when Chris talked to me and I'm like, wow. And I went to her and I said, you're not going to believe it. She goes, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. She goes, I've been praying for three years for someone to take this over when I leave. And she goes, your church, I hear you talk about it. She goes, that would be incredible because mm. it serves our children. It serves our community. So those are, we wanted to just give you like, a picture of what, what some of this would go to. 
Uh, and so if you want to be involved, we're going to do this over the next month. Uh, and you can give, when we take offering, you can give, but you can also give online and just market Christmas generosity offering, whether it's online or, and uh, like I said, all, all through, in fact, our family, it's, we got, we're praying about like, what are we, what are we going to do over this next month? And so, man, pray about it. Just ask God, hey, what would you have me to do to help meet some of these needs? I, I want to close with, with the verse that we started with. Wait, I have to tell you some really good news I forgot about. It's in my notes, and I'm going to close with this. So somebody knew, I can't believe I forgot to tell you this. Somebody knew that we were doing this, and two days ago I got an email from an organization called NorCal that has helped our church get planted. And the, the guy that works there that's worked with us, his name's Rick Weber, and he said to me, he said, Chris, tell your church that we will match dollar for dollar up to $5,000 that they give in this offering. I was like, it blew me away. Uh, I was totally out of the blue. So, and I, I wrote that in my notes. That's kind of a big deal, but I almost forgot to tell you guys. And so just a cool opportunity. And so as we close this morning, I just want to encourage you uh, just in your own heart between you and God, outside of the helping with these goals, just ask God, God, is my life and my heart cold? Am I in a season of coldness? Or God, is my life and my heart fresh and warm towards the things of you? Because Jesus was very clear that, man, this whole thing is about loving other people with our words, with our deeds, but it doesn't happen if our heart is cold to God. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want to encourage you to just ask yourself that question over the next few days and just ask God, to, man, God, show me, have I gotten cold? Is, is showing compassion to people, is it uh, take a lot of effort? And God, if so, would you work in my heart? Would you clean my heart of sin? And would you give me a fresh love for you and love for others? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that your word is. I'm, th I'm thankful for the grace that we see all throughout the scriptures. I'm thankful for how the word points to you, Jesus, as our only hope. And God, I pray for our gathering. As Lord, we're so young, we're still nine months old, but God, we want to be a gathering that doesn't just talk about you, but it reflects you to our community. And God, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts and really just show us what you would have us to do as we seek to love people the way you loved people. In Jesus' name, amen.